Welcome to Listening to Paint Tribe with Mike and Dan, a podcast about the art and hobby of miniature painting. I'm Mike, and thank you so much for joining us on our continued quest to become better, braver, happier painters. Uh, Today, not a lot of fluff in the beginning. Uh, Just to let you know, we have a lot of content in the can already that we're editing and working on. Uh, And so uh, a lot of exciting stuff is going on, and you're going to get a lot of episodes, uh, you know, weekly at this point. And so... But with that being said, uh, today we have an awesome interview with Steven Garcia. I had a chance to meet him at ReaperCon and see his Lionel piece in person. It was absolutely stunning, and I can't wait for you to hear uh, what he has to say. He's a fantastic painter and a great guy. So without further ado, Steven Garcia. Welcome to the show. We're so glad to have you. Hey, thanks. I really appreciate the opportunity to be on with you guys. No, and uh, this is awesome. This is my first uh, post ReaperCon interview. So uh, not only do we have a lot of just general hobby stuff to talk about, but there certainly is a lot of ReaperCon stuff to talk about for sure. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a great event, especially with you know all the craziness that's been going on for the last year and a half. Having having that that moment to kind of just catch up and immerse yourself with fellow nerds was was definitely needed. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I looked out and saw all those people painting in the, in the main ballroom and I'm like my people, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, before we get into the ReaperCon stuff, let's start out. Can you give us a little bit of your uh, kind of hobby origin story, how you got started in this silly hobby of painting toys? Oh man. Uh, hobby origin. So I guess like a lot of people out there, you know, GW was my gateway drug. Um, my uncle, uh, back in the day, easily 15 years ago, gave me my first. Uh, it was one of the, the, the metal, it was a Space Marine, of course, uh, an assault veteran sergeant. And at the time, stripping a model like was like not even an idea in my head. So I must have painted that thing like 20 or 30 times. <laughs> it just kept building up. It was probably just like a glob of, of paint by the time I threw that thing away. Or I'm, I'm pretty certain that I didn't throw it away, that I lost it, and that I probably cried for like three hours trying to find it. Um, but yeah, so he, he got me into it. Uh, I'm still a very staunch gw fan their their fluff and the mythos that they're created is is second to none um but i you know i kind of developed from there outside of the games workshop uh i just didn't have the money as a poor college kid to sustain that hobby so i had to start going towards like skirmish games and stuff like that mm-hmm. um slowly found my way into the privateer press you know war, war machine and hordes uh, at the beginning, in, the, in their infancy, they were still very much a skirmish game where you only need to have, have like, actually have, like, eight or nine models. Like, the whole, I can't remember, like battle groups, I guess is what they used to call them. I think so, yeah. Yeah, and then from there, uh, it just, like, scope creep, man. You know, it just kept getting bigger and bigger before you needed it. Uh, before you knew it, you needed a whole army to play a game, and that just kind of wasn't in the cards for the, for the time that I have on hand to paint. I switched over to uh, Infinity, Um, and Infinity's really where, like, I started really paying attention to my painting. Um, Before that, everything was really just kind of, like, trying to stick to that good old standard of play it painted. Um, I didn't really give that much thought to a lot of, to a lot of, uh, like, different painting aspects, but once uh, I started painting Infinity figures, like, they're their sculpts are gorgeous. I, I think uh, anybody who, who's known me for more than a few months or had a few conversations with me gets tired of hearing how much praise I give Corvus Belly and their sculpt. 
they are, there are some models that you can truly speed paint, you know, just like start slapping away, you know, your one, two, threes and your ABCs of painting. But the infinity figures, I have never been able to speed paint one because the, the quality of their sculpt and just how their lines um, come across on their models, like they, they just, they really speak to me. So I got to slow down and paint them up. Um, I got to do them justice. I got to try to do them right. Well, and it's another challenge too, because they're true 28 millimeters. So they are, they are kind of on the smaller side as well for a lot of their pieces. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and that, that even goes further to speak to their quality because at, at their scale, nothing's lost. I mean, like all the pistols are in scale, all the little pouches with their wrinkles are all like actualized on the miniature. There's sometimes you get like, you see the 3D sculpts online and they look awesome. And you're just like super excited. And then you get the product in your hand and you're all like, oh, wow, like half those details didn't show up or they're, they're right. super shallow and soft. So that that's just speaks to like why I, you know, why I love their figures so much. And, I, and I'm really grateful because the, 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 that, that feeling that I have and that, that desire to want to paint them uh, and do them justice really like made me slow down and pay attention to a lot of, a lot of new hobby and, and painting principles that I, I just hadn't, you know, devoted any time to before and from there it kind of just slowly took off you know I, I really tried to focus on all of all of the tenets of a, of a good paint job I started to care about color theory um you know ambience light theory all that stuff and uh at one point it, it just kept escalating you know um I, I started doing well in painting competitions and then um you know the again the scope creep kind of just kept you know kept at it and did a few busts i've done a few 75 millimeter figures and um you know that's kind of the evolution of what i've done playing games and, and where a lot of my painting you know where that trajectory has led me up until now very nice now um one of the things i always like to ask about is uh any of the challenges you face because i know a lot of our listeners out there um, and even like me get, you know, frustrated, take like we're plateauing or see all these beautiful artworks and don't understand the effort that people put in to actually create them sometimes. Um, are there any challenges that you faced as you try to up your painting game? No, none whatsoever. It comes so natural. I barely have to think about it. Just... <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, absolutely. I mean, even, even now, you know, Reprocon's over. I gave myself a, a couple of days to like mentally decompress and enjoy, you know, the experience. But, um, you know, yesterday I started taking a look at what's next, what project am I going to work on? And, and that by itself, you know, that, that conceptualization, um, it, it's difficult, everything. Um, I, I think another people who know me would probably point out quickly with my painting is just, I've been told I'm very hard on myself when it comes to, you know, painting miniatures and my standard for things. And, um, you know, this is very much a hobby for me. I feel like a lot of people out there, you know, everybody's got a full-time job. If you're lucky, you get like maybe three hours during the week and that's mm -hmm. stretching it. And your prime time is like a Saturday night with a beer or, or a Sunday afternoon with some friends. And even then, you know, like then it becomes a priority of, you know, do you want to do you want to paint miniatures or do you want to play with your awesomely painted miniatures? You know, like, which it's just time is always the factor. Um, so I, but I would definitely say that overall for me, like the biggest challenge is, is just getting out of my own head. Um, it, it's really easy to, to, to be hard on yourself and to give yourself the, you know, those really harsh critiques, like so many artists out there, but 
at some point you do kind of have to just take a breather and realize the lessons in every paint job for what they are. Hmm. If that, if that lesson is focusing on, on the color theory, then, then I'm all about throw yourself at the color theory. Um, you know, read the books that you can now, nowadays, everybody is so lucky to have so many online resources and videos to be able to learn skills that, um, you know, I guess, you know, back in the day, that's, I'm not very old, so I can only, only talking about back in the day, um, when, you know, you were lucky to learn from like another well-known artist, if you happen to go to a con, you know, or see them, uh, you know, paying competition. Uh, but yeah, the, the challenges that my personal challenge is always getting out of my own head. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I can say definitely that the, the challenges that I face after, you know, talking with people at cons and, you know, just reading people who PM me on different subjects, it's, it's all the same stuff, you know, as you, as you grow as an artist, um, and you kind of reach the, you try, you strive to reach that new level. They're all the same. They're all the same fundamentals, you know, like you develop and they get more enhanced. Um, you might, you might become a lot more detail oriented, but, but they are what they are. You know, if you're, if you're looking at color theory as a beginner painter, you're still looking really hard at color theory as a, as a, as an intermediate painter. And then as an advanced painter, the, the challenge just becomes like how in depth and how many different considerations are you trying to apply into your, into your paint scheme and overall feeling, um, that, that by itself is also maybe a progression that people go through is when you start painting miniatures, all you really care about is like the, the, there is no ambiance. You just want to figure out how do I put paint on this figure to make it look like that ultramarine, you know, or to make it look like that, that hordes character or whatever that you saw on the box art. Mm -hmm. And slowly as you develop, it's the exact same thing, you know, as an intermediate painter, you're still figuring out how do I make this model look the way that I want it, you know, the way that I'm envisioning. And now it might not just be applying like three coats of paint and a shadow and a highlight. Now you're just getting a little bit deeper into creating some good gradients, giving it a little bit more ambiance, incorporating a little bit more of an advanced color theory, but it's, it's all the same stuff from beginner to it, you know, to pro, I feel like at least for me personally, nothing's really changed all the struggles and all of the the time that it takes or that you spend thinking about these things it all just gets it continues to grow off of every previous lesson yeah that's excellent and it's interesting because you know i one of the things i was just thinking about i don't know why it kind of um you know the the looking at it kind of uh, maybe not the same way but still doing kind of the same things and easy or not easy uh uh uh, novice intermediate and advanced um you know i was watching a video the other day and a guy and i would probably consider myself in the intermediate level and there was a guy who was like okay this is the seventh midtone and i'm like that's a 28 millimeter figure nobody sees the seventh midtone on it what are you doing you know like <laughs> like what <laughs> you know and so i'm like i always wonder if too many of us maybe overthink some of it you know what i mean like th- that we kind of kind of creates uh we don't know anything and then we know too much uh to be dangerous you know what I mean? <laughs> oh yeah absolutely I-, I think i definitely see like a change between you know somewhere in that scale of uh of capability in a painter there's i feel like there's a transition from like you, you spend a lot of time in the beginning like doing a lot of tedious work And then you start to slowly develop, like you start to realize, like, I don't need this crap. Like I can drop these five steps and go straight to step six 
and it's not going to affect my final product. Right. Uh, likewise, in the beginning, you know, when you first start painting, you might not, you might strive to not make any mistakes. And if you make a mistake, then it goes, you know, right to the simple green, you know, no questions asked, just throw it <laughs> start over. Uh, but I, I can definitely say that there, there was a, a point in, in my own painting progression where I had an epiphany that I, I messed up on some figure. I don't remember what it was, but whatever it was, I didn't have to, I never had the thought and I didn't have to like throw it back into simple green. I realized, you know what? I can erase that one section that I did and repaint it. Mm -hmm. And um, it doesn't sound like a very big deal, but I was talking with a buddy one time and I was all like, hey, look, when you're able to erase your work and recreate it from scratch, you hit some type of a level mm -hmm. um, because not many people can do that. They don't, they don't, as a beginner, I don't want to say not many people can do that. I can say like when you're, when you're growing as a painter, when you don't feel as confident, your default is to redo all of it because maybe in, in all of your tediousness, you haven't really, you haven't really learned the lesson and you're doing things by steps. So when you mess up, you, you want to, it doesn't occur to, it doesn't occur to some people to just erase that one area as opposed mm -hmm. to, I need to go back from to step one. And that means step one on the entire thing. Um, okay. So that, that would be, a, you know, I tell that to some people in terms of like if, when they want to, if they need to put some type of a marker on their progression, like, Hey, look, can you, you need to throw the whole model in simple green or can you just erase and touch up that one area that you messed up? Mm -hmm. That's actually, you know, it's really funny because um, I'm actually working on my first 75 millimeter figure. I figured I was just going to go right into it after ReaperCon, And uh, I painted a green on the shirt and I'm like, God, I hate that green. And this, this is the first time I didn't go, Hey, where's the stripper? I actually just painted a different green on top of it. And it was like, oh, all right, that worked, you know? And it's something that's funny. It's a habit that's hard to break out of. Cause man, I got to tell you, I, I really should have invested in simple green in the beginning of my, my uh, painting career. Cause of how much I've used. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's, let's do, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about ReaperCon Cause it's so fresh on our minds and stuff. Um, how was the show for you? Uh, I had a really good time. Uh, like I said, with the last year and a half, the craziness going on in the world, um, you know, it, uh, I'll admit that I was a little apprehensive going into it, you know, finally mm -hmm. saying like, yes, I'm going to go. I'm going to make the drive. Uh, I'm, I'm in Austin, Texas, so it's only it's a three-hour drive for me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my wife was a huge supporter. Uh, I think Wednesday night, I was kind of doodling away on some last-minute touches, and I was still kind of like, I don't know if I'm going to go tomorrow. I pretty much told her, I was all like, hey, look, if you wake up and I'm gone, like, that's where I'm at. I'm on the road. I'm going to Reapercon. Like, I'll mm -hmm. decide tonight, maybe over my last beer. Um, but overall, um, it's, it's exactly what I needed, you know, getting to catch up with old friends, um, you know, just just sit down with a beer and just talk, talk, talk shop. Mm -hmm. You know, and half the time, I don't even think we were talking shop. We were just talking about we were just venting about the, the frustrations of the last year and a half under, you know, COVID and everything else, all the politics and everything going on in, in, in the, you know, in, in the U S. Um, but very grateful for the chance to, to have gone. I'm, I'm glad I made that decision because it was great catching up with friends, uh, got to meet new people. Um, as far as the apprehension goes, I was, I was, really I was pleasantly surprised you know that the, the greater community was kind of looking out for each other everybody was masked up 
There was no, there was no big dramatic scenes that I saw about people fighting over something like that. Um, so that just immediately kind of told me like what it set the tone, you know, that first morning, uh, of seeing everybody kind of like that and everybody just enjoying themselves while being safe. Um, the, the painting competition, you know, there's always great pieces in there. Yeah. There was um, a ton of, there were so many good pieces this year. Yeah. yeah. I, I wish I could remember what they, what they announced was like the file, the final number. I, I thought they said somewhere in the seven hundreds. Yeah, it was like 743 total entries and then 300 artists or something like that. Okay, uh, that, yeah. Yeah. That sounds right. And the, you know, the quality in there is always great. I mean, you know, we, we get, it, it's easy for some artists. There are some artists who are very well known because they have a very big social media platform. Mm -hmm. and of course, you have the other artists who are phenomenal artists and they just, you know, they, they aren't able to devote that time to developing the social portion of it. Right. Um, and, and I love, you know, ReaperCon has a lot of phenomenal freaking artists that just aren't, aren't well known. Right. You know? And to me, it's, 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 it's a little bit of a shame because when I get to see their stuff in person, I'm just like, I'm blown away. Um, you know, a, yeah. a lot of people think that um, there's a, there's a distinct, you know, there's a big distinction between like historical and fantasy um, but I, I know there were a lot of pieces in, in the painting competition at ReaperCon that I felt were just like a perfect blending of the two, you mm -hmm. know, fantasy subject, but it had very, very smooth and realistic paint jobs, um, you know, very natural colors with all the right weathering and everything. Like it was, it was, it was awesome to see a lot of those pieces in person. Yeah. Um, and then there were, there were friends, you know, that, you know, during, you know, over the last couple of years that I've, I've kept up with online, you know, um, that's another, I guess, plus during all of this is being able to navigate and keep social online has been really fun, but seeing pieces develop like in different chat groups and discord and everything like that right. uh, is awesome. And it's cool to see those, those works in progress and the step-by-step, -step, but finally getting to put my hands on them at ReaperCon and talk with, you know, the artists about those pieces. That was, that those are, those are really special conversations. Um, they're, yeah. they're substitute for having a piece in your hand, you know, you get to see everything. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's why I had not seen uh, Eric Swinson's war or Aaron Lovejoy's, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, Voldemort and your lion -O. Uh, I like didn't see any of those online. And so they were also, those were all big surprises to me. You know, I was like, woohoo, you know, these are great. You know, I had seen like part little pieces of Eric's, like I saw the head at one point because he had posted that, but the rest of it, you know, so all those were awesome to see online. Now let's, let's talk a little bit about Lionel third place, best in show gold medal. Uh, that's pretty damn impressive. Um, you know, congratulations. Um, so, uh, now where, uh, where did you get, uh, lion -O and, uh, is this, was this one of those childhood dreams to paint? <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, the sculptor for, for lion -O for this figure, he, he's a one-off figure. He's, he's approximately 75 millimeters. He's probably a little bit shy of 75. Mm -hmm. Uh, but the sculptor is a, a real talented sculptor out of Spain, Javier, uh, Urena. He does uh, a lot of stuff for Corpus Belli. Um, mm -hmm. He does stuff for Privateer Press. He does stuff for private collectors. He's just a real uh, talented and gifted sculptor. And uh, again, like all that praise that I gave Corbis, um, it's it, a lot of the sculpts that I love are done by him. He just has, he mm -hmm. has lines uh, that really speak to me in his sculpts. 
Um, same thing with the privateer press. You know, there were there were certain factions within that that line of product that uh, it wasn't until after the fact when I got to meet him and I, you know I started going through like his uh, what is it art station and all of his other online presence you know galleries right um, and it was just kind of like holy crap everything that I ever loved in privateer press was sculpted by by him. <laughs> um, so so uh, Corvus Belly they have like an annual kind of their games day called Interplanetario. Uh, and they have a painting competition there called Warcrow. Um, and he, he was there maybe like two years ago, is it two or three years ago? Uh, we met up and it was, you know, like he appreciated my work. I appreciated his work, kind of love at first sight type of a thing. We hit nice. it off. Um, and he was showing me a bunch of things on his phone of his personal projects. And he scrolled, you know, he scrolled through Lino. And I was like, holy crap, dude, like I would, what is that? Tell me more. I must know more. <laughs> <laughs> and um he, we talked about it and he i asked him if he could print it out and allow me to paint it as a one-off and he had to do i don't, I don't know anything about digital sculpting i don't you know those people are magicians to me right um, i agree apparently, uh, he, he needed to to make some adjustments to it to for it to actually be printed um printing it you know i think he printed it three or four times to finally meet his his quality um, and then there was a little bit of drama between, you know, shipping it from, you know, from Spain to me. I think it went back and forth like three times before it finally made it to my mailbox. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a, it was a fun journey for Lionel. Uh, <laughs> and after all that, he, he sat on my shelf for a year and a half. Um, to be frank, I didn't have the, I didn't have the balls to paint him. Uh, I wasn't quite confident in my painting ability uh, to, to do that thing justice, especially with all the, the emotional baggage that it was going to have, you know, how often you get to, you know, paint a figure, you know, from a super talented sculptor in the world, you know, a well-known superstar. Right. Um, but yeah, so finally worked up the nerve to paint him. Um, and when I painted him within the process, um, I was really set on trying to meld. I, I wanted to stick with a very cartoon accurate um, version of him, mm -hmm. you know, all, all of the colors from the cartoon, just those like bam, unforgiving in your face colors, you know, the two different shades of blue, right. um, the purity of that sword, you know, like those 80s cartoon silvers, you know, just had something about them that made you think that they were, they were alive and pure. They were mm -hmm. the source of all goodness. Um, you know, uh, Quicksilver. <laughs> Quicksilver. <laughs> I, I was looking at him online. I'm, I'm, I'm only like an hour away from pressing purchase somewhere. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I, I definitely wanted to stick with like a, a cartoon accurate um, version of them. But then I also kind of wanted to make sure that I put a few different, more, more realistic uh, aspects to even that cartoon version. So when you look at my version of them, if you look at like a lot of the, the areas around the face um, have a lot more like peach, a lot of like more uh, natural um, tan tones built into mm. them. Uh, a lot of those like more natural lion features, I think I, I try to anyway, um, kind of blend them into like a slight, like kind of like a middle ground between a more natural painting style and a cartoonish painting style. Gotcha. Um, same thing with like his elbows and his knuckles. If you look at his knees, his elbows and his knuckles, there's a lot of tan tones in there to just, and there's a lot of bruising and redness. He's got a couple scars that I painted on just small little touches to put that, you know, that little bit of realism while, but primarily wanting to really stick with 
those vibrant cartoon aesthetics. So how did you come on the background with, with him, which is a two-dimensional background and awesome, <laughs> by the way. Thanks. Um, th so the background was actually something that I wanted to do from the beginning. Um, there's that, there's that scene, you know, of course, the beginning of Thundercats during the opening song, you know, when, you know, Thunder, Thunder, Thundercats, ho. Mm -hmm. um, when he's at, when he's holding it above his head with both hands, this, the, there was a screenshot that I took where the sky is like, I guess it's the sky around Mumra's tomb. It's all purples and magentas, and, you know, pinks and some blues back there. Um, and so my idea was to actually, I wanted to put that behind him. Um, but early in the process, while I was painting him, I had a, um, you know, going back to your challenges, your question, mm -hmm. uh, I guess clouds have been my most recent challenge and frustration. Um, <laughs> clouds are not easy to do. No, nope. um, they're not with a lot of different ways to do them. Um, ultimately I, I really wanted to stick with the airbrush because I wanted them to have a very, I think the airbrush lends itself to a lot of those softer blends and transitions that you see in a lot of clouds. Mm -hmm. Um, and then of course that's a, you know, you're always learning and always growing as an artist. So I had to figure out how to do essentially, you know, landscape, you know, landscape, um, canvas art is where I took a lot of my lessons from. Mm -hmm. um, and so the clouds are created with a, a couple of different airbrushing techniques. Um, probably the best one was using a paper towel and just kind of like shearing it off at all these different cloud-like angles. Right. And then you pretty much use that as your, as your template for the airbrush. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, that part's easy, but you got to be careful with it because there, there's a there's a balance that needs to be struck between like the wispiness of a cloud and some of the hard lines of the clouds. Um, right. I think that's, that's even more true with like the cartoon and comic style that I painted him in because uh, there are definitely some areas of the background of it where I feel that I, I wish I had gone back with like, a, you know, some really stark black lines and just painted in some of the outlines of, of a few of the clouds. To, to, to really solidify that that comic book feel to it um right. but overall i was I, I, you know I'm, I'm pretty happy with the way the clouds came out there, there there's definitely some lessons learned there um but yeah so that the the background itself is you know it's it's 2d like you said and i um i constructed the the background the, the i guess it's an extension of the plinth it almost looks like a bullet that's been you know kind of sawed off at an angle um, and that thing's just made out of plastic hard and milliput that's been sanded down for, you know, for all the smooth edges. Oh, nice. Yeah. Again, that's all I had seen. You had showed me you had, before the con, we talked about doing the interview at ReaperCon, and you're like, I'm still finishing up the background and you had sent me a picture of the background and I'm like, Oh, I wonder what that's for, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then I found myself standing in front of Lion O wearing a Thundercat shirt. So I'm like, aha. This interview is destined to happen, you know? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um, and so when that piece won third, uh, third place, which is awesome. Um, congrats, man. Thank you. Thank you. You know, and it, uh, it, it was an interest. It, it's one of those things that's very interesting, you know. Um, the three that were the top three were all so very different. You know, like, because uh, you have the lineup with uh, the mix of the realistic and animated style, then Marike Reamer's closure, which was, uh, I, I don't want to say, it, it is definitely that, uh, 
I don't know how to explain her style. It's beautiful. She's a talented painter. It's not a question of that. It's just, I can't really, I don't know how to put words in it, but it's kind of almost like there's a, there's a feel to like an animated almost feel, but not the same type of animation. Like, I don't know. It's, I don't want, cause it's not cartoony, but anyways. And then of course you go to uh, Aaron Lovejoy's Voldemort, which a lot of sculpting, but a lot of very green piece, right? <laughs> very green. Um, and so, which is definitely more probably towards a realistic style attempt at painting, even how realistic Voldemort could ever be. Um, you know, so it's, it was very interesting to me that those, those were kind of, I don't know how as a judge you sort through weighing those styles, you know? Oh yeah. Judging is, uh, judging is difficult. Um, there's no, I mean, there's, there's no if, ands, or buts about it, especially when you start getting towards like those top entries. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's so many different um, considerations and criteria that you got to apply to it. And, and, and Repercon's a little unique. Um, I, I've been to Repercon once before. Um, and that these were things that I didn't realize about the painting competition because I just didn't think to ask. It was, a. I think the last time I went was literally a turn and burn. I went for, I got there Saturday at like 2 PM. And then I left the next morning on Sunday at like 8 AM. Mm. Uh, so there, there were these, some of these nuances I wasn't aware of until some friends pointed them out to me this year. And so that they have an open system, which is great because it takes a lot of the, the pressure off of a lot of painters. You, mm-hmm. Your work is judged against yourself in a vacuum. There, there is no first, second, and third, um, whatever. You know, if, if, if there are 100 entries and 50 of them are worthy of gold, well, 50 people get gold. You know, if, if one of them is worthy of gold, one gets gold but it's always against it's that artist's own critique against themselves. Have you grown as an artist? Um, is it, you know, was it better than what your entry was last year? Um, and even that's kind of unique because Re- Repercon does a, from what my understanding and what I saw this year, they do a really good job of cataloging um, people's entries. They so do. I, yeah. I, I almost called BS on somebody who said it to me the first time. And then I was like, you know what? Maybe I should shut up until I go, like, maybe I'll go ask and I went to ask and they, I said, Hey, do you guys have pictures of my last entries? I would love to just take a look at them. And, uh, that was kind of my own test to see, um, if this person, you know, if they were speaking accurately or just kind of making an educated guess. Um, and yeah, sure, sure as crap. Um, they had my entries there on file. So it, it kind of like, I, I don't know whether or not that during the judging portion, if they have the, the time with that many entries to go and take a look, um, right has to work uh but the fact that 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 capability is there if they wanted it is pretty it's pretty awesome i've never seen something like that um and then so so that's one unique thing i mean that, that that's one unique thing about their how they do their open system which is a great system um but then for their for the best of shows um it's kind of a it's a fan favorite award Mm-hmm. Um, so with that, of course, everybody who enters has a ticket and on that ticket, you're allowed to put, you know, whatever you think the best in show is. Um, and then those get tally up, tallied up. Um, the judges are, you know, they've got a say in what the, uh, best in shows are, but because they're just so outnumbered by all the entry or all the entries, right. all the people there, you know, like they, they barely make up a small percentage of the overall vote. Um, right. I think judges get five votes like their oh, their okay. best insured vote gets five. Yeah. OK. OK. 
Um, so which yeah. is still just a drop in the bucket compared to the number of people at ReaperCon. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so the, 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 the best in shows, even like, it, it's funny because even with, even with best of show, you know, we're used to seeing like first, second and third. And I don't think they break it up that way actually like in their title i think they have their their best in show i think it was called overall is what you know what aaron got mm-hmm. and then they have the best in show um reaper model and then they have best in show non-reaper model um and so that that best in show the way that they do that and the three different categories that they have for it is definitely unique to ReaperCon. right because um, they have the sophie system as well too exactly yeah so i mean i got it it's a it's, it's ReaperCon. there you know it's it's a reaper event of uh i love that they take the time to to highlight their their own line of products you know with with special rewards without negatively impacting you know other non-reaper miniatures there right um i think because of that i mean overall it's 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 definitely a good competition i think for 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 any level of artists to to throw their work into because um, that there were some high-end artists there, um, great, you know, not only well-known, but also like in capability, they're advanced painters. Um, and I feel like all of those, all of that work was still acknowledged for what it was. Not mm-hmm. only did they get goals in their categories, you know, with their work, um, but just the conversations, the fun banter and competition that, you know, that the artists have internally, mm-hmm. um, you know, like... Eric and I weren't necessarily like talking crap to each other about our pieces, but it, but it was fun to consider like, oh man, like, you know, maybe one of us could get best in show. Maybe it'll be you, maybe it'll be me, Aaron, you know, whatever. Like those, those are just really fun conversations to have in that environment. And I think that the way that ReaperCon does their, their competition still, still facilitates and fosters that camaraderie between the artists. Yeah, absolutely. And then, then, then you have, uh, like weird one-off things that happened. Like my, my weekend was crazy too with that. I, I, I was, you know, I was in a situation where I thought uh, I was done because I found out they had switched every, like they had switched where my models were (laughs) and they had laid. And so they had put, uh, I had three entries and they had two of them in the same place. Um, and when they got through the bronzes, I'm like, well, damn it. There goes my night. You know, <laughs> my night is over. <laughs> so, Cause I found out like, yeah, Eric told me right before they had started that they had put two of my models in the same, I put, uh, they had the painters division, which was straight up just paint job. And then they had open, which was, I misunderstood. Um, I guess it's to the model. Um, I thought there was a basing aspect of it as well. So I put my guy with the gear tree in, open because that's what i thought because i scratch built the tree and such and so but they put him in painters so yeah it was weird it, it, I, I didn't i i was totally misread the rules <laughs> the criteria so i was like damn yeah they do they do a really good job in their descriptions of like you know just being very as accurate as they can be in helping us figure out where uh, where mm-hmm. our model should go what type of stuff we should focus on for our entries and all that but i mean art at, at some point, no matter what, it starts to become subjective. Yes. Uh, and, and I think that's a big part. That's where it gets very difficult, I think, for the judges when you're, when you're looking at all of the, the finalists and you're looking at like those, those, those pieces that maybe are toting the line between silver or gold. 
and potentially gold and maybe best of show or some other, you know, other award. Um, it's, it's very, it's, it's difficult to, to be objective about how you're rating all these pieces. Um, at some point, you know, you kind of, you know, it's, it's your preference. And that's where I think like, uh, you know, ReaperCon, they, they, I mean, I think it was, was it 15 judges that they had overall? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. It was in the teens, which, yeah. you know, that's, a, I get it, you know, with that many entries, you absolutely need to have that many, you know, mm-hmm. before they all go crazy. Um, but I think what, what, what I really like or about having that, that many judges is to me, it translates to you have that many styles. Mm-hmm. So one person might be very, you know, some people, some person might be like, a, they love smoothness and other people might love texture or they, right. you know, they love pointillism. They love all these different painting techniques. Um, and, and I just like the fact that when you have a, a judging bench that deep, everything mm-hmm. is represented. Every, every, every aspect of a miniature or figure or scene um, is going to get raised in that discussion. So you have more of a fair 360 shot for considerations for your pieces when they're being judged. And I, I love that part. Yeah, and I got to tell you, one of the things I was super impressed about, too, was that they kept calling for rubrics, right? Like uh, what I heard is that they would get make sure that they were judging based on their criteria that they told everybody they were going to judge on. And that to me was I, I was impressed by that, that to make sure that, you know, like a piece that is painted well but not it's painting doesn't isn't the same level as its creativity or execution in the build could still do well because those other two factors were good. You know what I mean? Like those other two factors were so high. And yeah. so I've heard a, a bunch of different examples of that where I was like, well, that is awesome. Cause that means you, you did what you were, what we, we were told you were going to do, you know? Yeah. And I think that uh, I, I don't remember, was it Ann Forrester as the, the head judge? Right. Uh, well, I, I think she's the head judge. And then Michael Proctor kind of is the head of the competition. I don't know. One of them is the head judge. That might be Michael Proctor. And then Ann is kind of in charge of the whole painting competition. Okay. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it, it does. Whichever one of them does the policing, like the, both of their personalities, I can totally see them like making sure, reminding people of that rubric, which is great. I think you, you need that as a, if you're going to have a, a head judge or somebody facilitating that portion of the competition, mm-hmm. I think that, that hands down one of their like primary responsibilities is, is making sure that the judges are adhering to that. If, if they are, if it's available, if it's being provided to them. Right. Yeah. And also it probably has to make the judges life easier for sure. It's um, now uh, is this, do you see yourself going back to ReaperCon or maybe next year, probably the Nova Open happens over the same weekend? Are you more of a Nova Open guy? Uh... Um, to, to be fair, I will say that that Reaper does not appeal to me, Steve Garcia, as much uh, because I, I don't I'm not a D&D player. Um, mm-hmm. I don't play the, the games that they produce. Um, so going to the con, go, going to one con that has like a bunch of different gaming systems represented represented versus like just one manufacturer specific event mm-hmm. um i i've, I've got to like i've got to rash i'm, I'm going to rationalize going to the event that's got more right. you know more bang for your buck type scenario um but that that has nothing to do with the quality of the paint show or the, the painting competition or anything like that 
it just comes down to like, if, you know, if I'm only able to go to three cons in a year, uh, I'm probably going to want to go to one that has something that, you know, something that interests me a little bit more. If I, if I right. can play a side game of like kill team or infinity or something like that, you know, I, I'd probably do that. I've, I've also never been to Nova and I'm very, you know, I want to go um, to Nova. Uh, and, and I think it's, 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 it's silly and it's a shame that it happens when you have like multiple cons happening over the same weekend. Agreed. Uh, I, I, I can't, I, I can't imagine that, you know, it's too easy to send an email to somebody else, you know, and just be like, Hey, I'm going to be on the 25th. Can you be yeah. on the 31st, you know, or something like that. Um, but I, but I get it. Um, you got to prioritize what you got to prioritize, right? <laughs> yeah. It's the first long weekend in the fall. And so I think that's probably the biggest, the, the biggest draw is that you can have that four day con because a lot of people have Friday and Monday off you know, or easier to take Friday off. Absolutely. If I, you know, if it came down to, if I can go to ReaperCon, I will. And it's nice that the ability to go is so easy for me with a three hour drive. Right. Um, it, it would have to be a very deliberate, like, no, I'm, I'm going to Nova because I'm going to teach there or because, you know, the next time it happens, it's going to be my first time. Like that'll be a big milestone. Sure. But after that, it might just be like, maybe I switch between the two events from year to year. Um, Cause I don't think either one of them is ever going to change their dates. No, I don't think so either. I think we're stuck. We're stuck at it. Even though the Nova has all new ownership now, I think that's all. Uh, that's the, I think those are going to be set in stone for sure. And sad too, because Nova's 20 minutes from me. <laughs> <laughs> Like, it's like, I don't even bother with a hotel room because I'm there in tw literally 20 minutes. Uh, yeah, I don't blame you. <laughs> um, so let's, let me ask you this. Um, we've talked about ReaperCon and kind of Lino stuff. Um, let's talk on uh, about some other type of miniature stuff. So now Lionos in the past, are there any other miniatures out there that you would like to see be made um, that haven't been made yet? And my, my typical example I give people is, um, I would love to see the characters from Stephen King's Dark Tower series come to life in miniatures. Um, is there something like that that you want to see? Oof, that's a tough one. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a huge comic book fan. Um, I'm also a very big Joe Madeira fan. You know, Battle Chasers is run on like X-Men and stuff like that. Um, those would probably be characters that I want to see, to be honest. It, it might not be the most exciting thing because you, you can get larger figures of, you know, 75 millimeter figures of like different comic book characters. Right. Uh, and, and I think actually in my drawer, I've got about four different versions of Thor. That <laughs> but if, if, yeah, if, if somebody created a Joe Madura inspired version of Thor, I would probably gladly pay all of the cost of those other four miniatures that I have of Thor and would do it in a heartbeat. Like I don't, I would empty my bank account to get that figure. Nice. All right. Let me talk to some sculptors here. <laughs> All right. So let, let's have a little fun. Let's do a, a bit of a lightning round. So I, I warned you ahead of time about it, but not, uh, uh, not, I didn't go into too much detail because I want to kind of get your gut reactions to some of these questions. Uh, some are funny. Some are based on kind of hot topics that are always part of the miniature painting world. All right. Okay. So are you ready? Uh, yeah, I'll try not to swear. <laughs> uh, no, we don't worry about that here. Uh, you know, whatever comes out, comes out. Uh, so I, I'll ask the first softball question. When was the last time you drank your paint water? Oof, four months ago. 
the other the other glass had some tequila in it, and I, of course, led to me picking up the wrong glass, and it was my paint water. <laughs> now, do you often rinse your paintbrush in your drinking glass? No, I just probably couldn't see straight at that point. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, see what you were painting, right? You know, <laughs> that's what right. yeah, people always ask me what's my secret to painting, and uh, it's, it's tequila. That's my secret. Nice. Excellent. Um, the gods of the paintbrush descend upon you and say, you may paint with only one paintbrush. What type of brush and what size? Ooh, Windsor Newton series seven, size two. Size two. All right. Excellent. Uh, non-metallic metal or true metallic metal and why? Non-metallic metal because you can control it more. You, you just have more control over it. Everything's much more deliberate. You got to put your contrast where it goes, your highlights where it goes. There's no, there's no metal flakes to do some of some of the work for you. Now, you have to choose one type of paint between heavy body acrylic, acrylic inks, model paints, or oils. <sighs> heavy body. Heavy body acrylics. Heavy body acrylics. Yep. Nice. What's the reason why for those? Oh man, I, I, I still think that heavy body—they're—they're they're, they're the most versatile of everything that you told me. Oils come in at a close second for versatility, but I think the heavy body—you can—you can make a pseudo ink out of it, um, and the model paints the same thing. You're, as long as you feel comfortable with what you're doing with the heavy body, as long as you have that dilution control, you're fine. Excellent. See. Easy questions, right? For this for the lightning round, just a few. Um, you know, it's always I, it's one of those things that uh, I try to switch it up a bit. You know, just to make artists laugh because make sure because we uh, the number one thing Dan and I don't do is take ourselves seriously um, because you know <laughs> uh, our, our 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 motto that everybody else knows about is uh, better, braver, happier painters. But the true original motto was we suck at painting, so you don't have to. Um, <laughs> Uh, so and so uh, with those said, uh, one of the things I like to wrap up the interviews with is uh, as we continue our journeys to become better, braver, happier painters, uh, is there some advice that you could give our listeners? Oh, man. To be better, to be better painters. Any of it, better, braver, happier or just generic painting advice. Don't take yourself too seriously and, and no one to put no, no one to be done with the pro project. Take, take what you can from it, get your lessons learned, and move on to the next one with your head up. Awesome. So, uh, Stephen, can you tell our listeners where to find you? Uh, I am at 1106 Glendalow Drive. I'm on Instagram under Torquethor. Okay. Um, you can find all my work there. And then uh, I'm on Putty and Paint as well. I think for Putty and Paint, if you search my name, I'm, I'm on there. I can't remember if I'm Torgathor or STGA1787. Uh, yeah, we'll put the links in the show notes too. So that way people have the ability to quickly uh, grab it. And one of the things we like to do is uh, use some, use the artist's work to promote the well, watermark it and everything with your name and links to it, but uh, uh, to promote the episode. So it grabs people's attention and they go, Oh my God, who painted that? And then they can read the episode and go, yes, Stephen Garcia now has a hope. We have seven listeners. So we're hoping we can help get you seven more followers, you know, <laughs> <laughs> <That'd be great. laughs> 
Well, thank you so much, man, for being on the show. It was really awesome to meet you in person at ReaperCon. Uh, I wish we would have had more time to hang out. <laughs> yeah, right on, brother. Thank you so much for having me on here. I always appreciate and humbled by these types of, uh, by, by these interviews and just having a one-on-one with somebody to talk shop is always fun. Dan and I would like to thank Stephen Garcia for joining us today. We really appreciate him taking the time out of his busy day to share his personal hobby journey with us. Um, you can follow Stephen at Tor Kathor on Instagram. That's spelled T-O-R-K-A-T-H-O-R. We'll also put links to his Instagram and Paint and Putty in the show notes. But again, thank you so much, Stephen, for uh taking the time to talk to us and it was really nice to get to meet you at ReaperCon. Uh, hopefully next con we'll get to spend a little more time hanging out and just uh, uh shooting the crap about about paint minis and and life in general so but with that being said you can follow us on facebook instagram and youtube at listening to paint dry we are on twitter at dry listening uh please like subscribe or follow wherever you get your podcasts and if you could give us a five-star review we would be very very appreciative and any word of mouth you could spread about the podcast thank you so much as always we totally appreciate our listeners and if you have any feedback or just want to chat or show us what you're working on uh you can hit us up at listening to paint dry at gmail.com the easiest way to become a better, braver, happier painter is to just get out of your head and paint. Until next time. Listening to Paint Dry with Mike and Dan is a production of LTPTWMD. All rights reserved. No portion of this recording may be used without the express written consent of the host. The music is Death by a Thousand Questions by Springtide. Download from the free music archive on a non-commercial attribution share alike basis. All views and opinions expressed in the show are solely the views and opinions of the person who said them. All celebrity voices, if any, were impersonated and done so poorly.